0: Welcome to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thanks for joining me today. Okay, the last couple weeks, we talked about El Mayo, El Mencho, and Los Chapitos. Today, we're going to kind of combine all of those and do a bit of a compare and contrast study of CDS and CJNG. I've titled this episode, CDS and CJNG, past, present, and future. In reality, we're going to do a little bit less on the past because we talked about that when we were talking about these leaders. But what we are going to do is try to look at these two cartels, see where they're at today, see how their styles are the same or different. And then at the end, we're going to make some I don't want to say predictions in the future, but we're at least going to look at factors going forward for both of the cartels. All right, before we dive into that, though, a couple things I want to talk about. First of all, when we were talking about El Mayo, you'll remember I said there was some question or speculation as to where his nickname actually came from. Two of you wrote in, and thank you for doing this. But two of you wrote in and gave answers. So Emilius says, hey, in Mexico, that's what they call Ishmael for short. Kind of like Bill for William in the States. Other examples, Jesus Chui, Jose Pepe, Francisco Pacho, etc. Then Israel wrote in and said El Mayo is nicknamed after the native people from Sinaloa and Sonora, the Yoreme or Mayo people. He and Caro and others look very native, as opposed to people like Felix Gallardo, who looked more European. So, there you go, two answers. Thank you so much for writing in. Um, and for everybody, if I'm wrong about something, if I misstate something, if there's a nuance I'm missing, let me know. Um, I, I take this very seriously, do a lot of research, but I'm also a gringo in Colorado. So there are going to be nuances I probably will miss. Let me know. uh, And I appreciate it. Okay. The other thing is I want to do a a little bit of a caveat when we start talking about CJNG and CDS. I've read over the last few days a lot um, that tries to make this comparison or talks about the different cartels. And I've tried to... Segregate out, I know if um you know urban legend, rumors, social media, and look to more mainstream um either media or some in the more in the academic realm. Here's the problem. You can find something that says almost anything you want it to say. The Descriptions of these cartels are all over the map. And there are some very, very reputable academic institutions that have published articles regarding these cartels that contain a lot of valuable um, and impressive information. I don't always agree with all of it, though. And so, for example there is a report that talks about that after El Chapo was captured, that the Sinaloa cartel was then really run by four factions, four leaders. You had Los Chapitos, you had El Mayo, you had El Chapo's brother, and you had Rafael Caro Quintero. And this publication goes on to talk about the Caro faction of the Sinaloa cartel for a long period of time. I mean, you know, um, over and over it comes up. I- I'm not sure that that's accurate. I don't think that there ever was kind of a four-headed leadership. I don't think there was a triumvirate. I think, in, in essence, after El Chapo left, you know, was arrested and deported, The void was really taken up by Los Chapitos and El Mayo. And within a short period of time, they became the two dominant um, leaders, if you will, or dominant factions within that cartel. Does not mean I'm right, okay? But I'm going to use podcaster's privilege. And what I'm going to give to you is what I think most of the evidence supports I'll try to point out areas where others disagree. I'll try to point out in a couple of places specifically what others have said or where the source is for things. So keep that all in mind, okay? Um, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Even today, when stuff happens, there's lots of different ways to interpret it. There's a Definitive lack of information about lots of things. You know, there was a raid in um, Durango this week. LG1 was was captured. Lots of, of rumors, innuendos, thoughts, assumptions, but very, very little news about what happened. So I, I don't want this to be sound in any way like this is speculation though right we spend a lot of time getting a lot of information and then we make our best guess that's what I'm doing here all right with that um let's let's talk about this so I'm going to start off with going right back to what I just talked about um so the Brookings Institute had a series of of reports on Mexico. They still do. Um, again, very reputable, run by you know PhD political scientists. But one of the things they said, hey, se- is since the imprisonment of El Chapo, the Sinaloa cartel has been composed of four key faction led factions. Sorry, led by. Um, El Mayo, a, and this these are quotes, a brainy old-timer, Rafael Caro Quintero, one of the co-founders of the Guadalajara cartel, El Chapo's brother, Arellano uh, El Guano Guzman Lara, and El Chapo's four sons, collectively known as Los Chapitos. They each have somewhat different style of rule informed by different histories and trajectory in the criminal world. Um, so that, that's what they say. Now, if you've listened to my podcast at all or seen me on YouTube, you know that I disagree with some of what was said. All right. Again, I don't think we had four factions. I don't think that... Um, Calling Rafael Caro Quintero, one of the co-founders of the Guadalajara cartel, is accurate. We've talked about that and we're not gonna go into it. But you really do get the idea that, and here's why it's important, when El Chapo was arrested, when El Chapo was deported, um, and, and he's got a nice suite in Colorado down in Florence at Supermax, there was a there was a void. Right, You can't have a leader like that. Forget whether or not he was above, equal with, or below El Mayo in leadership. Forget all of that. There still was a power void, and something had to fill that. We, I, tend to think that that's more Los Torpedoes than anyone else. So, the thing about... um. The Sinaloa cartel that I think is is most interesting is, you know, number one, the Sinaloa cartel has been around for a very long time, right? At a minimum, if you want to, you can start it at 1989. Uh, and we've talked about all of that genesis with Felix Gardo and stuff. But at a minimum, 1989, been around. Very powerful, right? Long t- long reach one of the things that's interesting about it is the Sinaloa cartel generally speaking is that they give a an air or a representation of more more white-collar criminals than thugs if you will um their rule is oppressive but One of the hallmarks, or two of the hallmarks, that comes up over and over when you look at the research, such as it is, on the Sinaloa cartel, is that they have some level of predictability and that moderation is a hallmark of their rule, if you will, in the areas where they dominate. So moderation, predictability And then when they have to use violence, they do it, but they do it in a more strategic way. Um, And this allows them to then develop more ingrained, more long-lasting relationships with politicians or businesses or others because of this more um, predictable nature of the Sinaloa cartel. Um, You know, the um, the Brookings Institute report um, talks about the fact that, and I'm going to read this, um, that they keep a, a lower profile, generally speaking, and um, there's a quote here. They are polite extortionists who bring in order, who are civilized criminals, who don't just drag in violence for the sake of violence. And uh, this allegedly came from a uh, business in, big, uh, in uh, Baja Sur, California. So, um, you know, again, they go on to say that the, uh, in contrast to CJNG, and this goes, this is again, a quote from the, the businessman, he says, the payments now are very predictable and the collectors from the Sinaloa cartel, polite and calm it's very civilized dealing with them. You don't have to pay once a week in crazy sums just every few months at a reasonable rate. Um now everybody knows everybody listening says all right, just because just because they're not, you know, in your face, they're not as aggressive does not mean they don't engage in violence, right? Of course they do. They we've seen it um, and they will, um, you know, they will use violence when it, it, it when it helps their cause, right? Um, when it allows them to expand, we can look today at areas like Tijuana. We can look at uh, places like Ciudad Juarez, where there are active campaigns by CDS to expand their operations. We also can look in places like Zacatecas, where there's a battle with CJNG. So they will use violence, particularly against other cartels, but they will use violence in relationship to um, businesses, the government, etc. but they don't do it in the way that CJNG does. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, we talked about this when we were talking about Los Chapitos, is the fact that a lot of the intercartel wars, Tijuana cartel and the remnants of the Tijuana cartel, BLO and their remnants, started with El Chapo? At least on the on the CDS side, right? You never really hear about El Mayo getting into intercartel fights that are deeply personal right that was um that was generally speaking El Chapo, so the question now is, is a couplefold right um do those torpedoes maintain those rivalries with the same level of bitterness that their father did? I think the answer there is probably yes um but do they have uh, then going forward a w- you know um the same propensity for inter-cartel, deeply personal, familial fighting. That, I think, is a better question with respect to the reign or the rule or however you want to call it of um, Los Tupidos. So Sinaloa, um, you know, initially they were big in marijuana and, and cocaine, they too, like everyone else, has um, moved into fentanyl, uh synthetic opioids. We've talked about those, ad nauseum. Um, Sinaloa probably was the first big cartel, first big um criminal organization to start importing fentanyl byproducts or or you know manufacturing products products, precursors. Sorry. That's the one we want from China. Okay. Um, so Sitaloa has this, this relationship with China. We've talked that there are some other Southeast Asian nations that are probably getting involved now as well. They bring over the precursors to fentanyl. They process it and then move it into the United States and other places for distribution and sale. Um, one of the things that, um, that is interesting with respect to the Sinaloa cartel is when you start looking at efforts to expand drug usage. And we're going to talk about this probably in a couple of weeks, because I think it's worth a, um, a deeper look and investigation, but there's a great deal of discussion in some circles that there are areas of the world where synthetic opioids methamphetamine fentanyl simply are not drugs of choice much of europe is that way much of the middle east is that way there is a great deal of speculation and i think at this point it's nothing more than speculation that cds particularly Los Chupitos, at least in this speculation, has a plan to introduce the usage of synthetic opioids and methamphetamine into Europe, into the Middle East, and be a supplier of those into those areas. Now, again, whether that's actually the case or not, I don't think there's a whole lot of empirical data. You will see, I think Insight Insight Crime had an article last week about some um, connection between the Netherlands and the Sinaloa cartel. Questions whether that's accurate or not. I think in response, there were some some other articles that said, no, not true. It's more, again, Anecdotes than anything else, so we'll see. One of the things I think also sets the Sinaloa cartel apart from CJNG and maybe from any other is the way that they really built um, political capital, goodwill, if you will, with a whole variety of constituencies, and when when they expanded into other territories. They made it an effort to establish relationships with businesses, priests, politicians, government officials, and more importantly, the people. Uh, one of the things that you hear a lot when you or, or see a lot when you start looking at the Sinaloa cartel is they can come into an area and operate almost as a second police force at least in certain areas. Um, that's This isn't going to be the case in place, you know, necessarily in, in, in every location. But, you know, sometimes they can come in and provide, you know, real services. So there are discussions. Um, the Brookings Institute, again, talks about um, talking to people in Acapulco who have said that when uh, there are, extortions or kidnappings for money and ransom that Sinaloa actually has helped locate the kidnappers or the extortionists and turn them over to authorities in more uh, remote areas. There are um, stories of them really coming in and acting as a police force, getting rid of a lot of petty theft, Right. Um, And so that can endure, endear, sorry, the cartel to the average person, right? The average person is afraid to walk down the street. Now they come in, see the comes in, uh, people can walk down the street, they have a, uh, a tax, if you will. But they know what it is. They know what it's going to be. Their life is a little bit better. They don't mind Sinaloa being there. It's an interesting and, and has been a very effective strategy. Um, one of the things that Sinaloa has been doing, we talked about this a little bit with Los Chapitos in particular, is to take over vertical chains of um, certain economic streams. So, Apparently, they've been very prominent in taking over some fisheries, um, doing lots of things. They've taken, um, you know, kept, you know the actual fishing operations, processing, sales to restaurants, uh, those sorts of things. Um, they've also been in um, involved in illegal operations with respect to, you know, actual fishing. On the other hand, there are reports that they've offered. To work with the Mexican government to force uh, compliance with certain limitations or, or licensing and quotas that are routinely ignored. Um, so, you know they can provide again kind of these regulatory services um, that help not just um, not just local communities but also entire economic groups, if you will. So that's CJNG. Um, we've also talked about, um, you know, the fact that um, Los torpedos you know, they really want to expand. They want to get out of being, um, you know, only in the, the drug trade business. They would love to, I think, expand into legal operations and get the hell out of being um, drug dealers in the first place, or at least in a lot of respects. Uh, we talked about in the past about how, you know, marijuana, the legalization of marijuana could be um, one of their ways of doing that. Keep in mind, there are some narco juniors as they get called that are coming up. Um, Ariano Guzman Araujo. I know I'm I'm pronouncing that wrong. I apologize. He's the son of Ariano Guzman Loera, El Chapo's nephew. Uh, He got in the news recently with a gunfight in uh, Culiacan, but he's rising to at least some prominence in the cartel. There are others. There's um, Jesus Alfredo Baltran Guzman, uh, El Mochomito, after his father. Alfredo Beltran Leyva, um, El Mochomito, who's El Chapo's nephew, again, um, was freed from Mexican prison uh, not too long ago. You also have um, some sons of El Mayo who are still out there. Um, one in particular, Ismael Zambada Sacaros, Sakari- uh, Mayito Flaco. Or El Caballero. Um, he apparently is his brother or his father's right hand man at the time or at the present. So you got the two factions, and then you have kind of some new folks coming in, some new blood, right? And we're gonna talk about that in a couple of minutes. So that's CDS. Now let's talk about CJNG. We've um, we've gone over their history in the past. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. In about 2010, right, um Ignacio Coronel, Nacho was killed by uh, Mexican security forces. You ended up having a uh, a good fight between La Resin- Resistencia, sorry, and uh the Torcidos. The um result of that was the torcidos, uh the Zeta Killers—they became CJNG, and um, they really took over that whole area that Nacho Coronel had had done with, and the Millennial Cartel. And this is when El Mencho came into power. Right? We've talked about the fact that they they started off, um, you know, kind of trying to appeal to the Mexican people. They had kind of some, you know, idealistic propaganda, you know, said, hey, we're going to get rid of the Zetas and the Knights Templar. We are, um, you know, going to get rid of people who take advantage of the general population, those sorts of things. They've been very upfront and and forward about kind of being altruistic in the areas they work. They distribute toys and things. If you look in the newsletter, um, I think it was last week, there was a big giveaway for uh, a holiday. Lots of toys to kids in different neighborhoods, all run by CJNG. Um. CJNG is in lots of areas of Mexico, okay? But where does it really dominate? Dominates in Jalisco, of course. Nayarit, Coloma, uh, Colima, sorry. The port of Lazaro Cardenas in Michoacan. They've moved into the eastern part of Mexico, Taken over a lot of the area that was previously dominated by the Zetas, some with respect to the Gulf Cartel. So they're very prominent in Veracruz. They're also very prominent in areas of um, areas of Mexico in the central regions that are big oil producers. Um, so that's going to be important for for them going forward as well. We know that they have again some battles in the east with um, the old school Zetas and some dissident or remaining factions of the Gulf Cartel, um, including groups known as Grupo Sombra. And, and and going back to what we talked about earlier, you know the roster of players, of factions and groups and splinter groups and remnants and dissidents. And new names and old names and stuff changes all the time. All right. It's almost impossible to get a snapshot at any given time. So, again, some of these names can change and things. Um, some of the big places that CJNG is looking to move into more, of course, Tijuana. Um, We talked in the past about the fact that there are still remnants of the Tijuana cartel or uh, the AFO group in Tijuana, and their power seems to be somewhat tied to what other large groups they are working with. Is it CJNG? Is it CDS? Is it other groups? Um, So there's that. There, of course, is Juarez. There are parts of Michoacán-Guerrera. Um, the Riviera Maya has, of course, become more of an issue. And then there are um, battles and fights with uh, others in the Chiapas region of Mexico. Uh, that's in the south of Mexico along the Guatemala border. Um, some suggestions that... Um, CJNG really wants to move more into Mexico City. There was an attack on a public security um, official in um, or office in June of 2020. Hasn't been a whole lot of follow-up to that. Not in the way that you would expect, so I'm not sure about that. Um, Internationally, the cartel has good uh, um, contacts in south america colombia peru those sorts of places less so in europe less so in um this in southeast asia though it does have relationships with some in china with respect to again the synthetic drug trafficking that we we discussed earlier um again um you know the the cartel is um is known more than anything, I think, for its more brazen violence. The more in-your-face, the more indiscriminate violence. Very reminiscent of the Zetas. Now, one of the things I still find fascinating is the fact that when the Mexican government really made a big effort, um, you know, in in 2009 10 11 to really go after the cartels they went after Zetas because of their brazen violence and they went after the Tijuana cartel in part because of the death of the cardinal in part because of just how violent they were and in part because of where they were they did a pretty good job The Mexican government did of of kind of shutting these down. They haven't really done is gone after CJNG in the same way, um, notwithstanding the fact that CJNG's violence is, again, more in your face, more brazen uh, than CDS and, and almost any other since the downfall of the Zetas. All right, compare and contrast. Number one, let's talk about economic models. And uh, I'll admit, this is where I geek out, okay? I love this part of the analysis. I love thinking about how this all works. How do, how do they all stay kind of in control? How, how are they, um, the leadership of the cartels, thinking about the structure, the economics, um, and you know, especially as we talked about with El Mao, trying to keep all of their people somewhat happy. So, as we already mentioned, the Sinaloa cartel, and and let me let me preface this one more time: we're talking about economic, not leadership, models. Okay, economically, they like to take over an entire vertical chain, right? Um, we talked about fishing, all right? If they want to get into fishing and they want to take over, they want to dominate fishing, they're going to take it, everything from the time that the fish is, you know, captured on a hook or a net in the ocean until somebody's eating it on their plate in Culiacan. That whole thing. On the other hand, CJNG is really more... Um, I always compare them in a way to kind of old school mafia in New York. You know, they're far more, um, and I guess, you know, you could talk about some areas, but the idea of kind of on the street, you know, you tax local businesses, you get, um, uh, you know, you, you you force them to have protection, you um, almost have licenses and franchisees, so um, it's just very, very different um, style. And one of the things that CJNG does is, you know, is they tap into or tax or get a, you know, get a, a cut from all kinds of different enterprises, drug trafficking, um, prostitution, legal sales of tobacco, alcohol, you know, whatever. So those are interesting. And one of the things that is noteworthy, and we mentioned it earlier, and Brookings Institute, again, does a very nice job of of talking about this, is the fact that overall, the CJNG um, taxes tend to be much higher overall much more regressive than that of the the cds right so at the end of the day when you're looking at everything if you're a businessman in you know someplace in mexico you got cjng and and cds in the area cds is going to come in and kind of take over the town and, and stuff and and the, it may seem in some respects that that they're more domineering in a way but the amount you pay is going to be less overall and there seems to be more certainty with respect to them and less direct confrontations right um again i hate to make the the comparisons with the the With the mafia, but you can kind of see, you know, the difference between the dapper don and uh, you know, and and more thuggish um, groups or factions or leaders. And and I know that's not a perfect comparison, but but we'll go with it. So, um, you know, CJNG when they take over, it's based on violence. It's based on ostentatious violence it's based on brutality and they come in and frankly they scare the shit out of people right that's how they take over as opposed to the you know the polite extortionists who from The Sinaloa cartel. Obviously, most people would prefer that there not be either one. But maybe, maybe you prefer kind of the, you know, the the nice guys taking your money uh, as opposed to the mean guys taking your money that at the same time uh, scare you to death and may shoot you just for the hell of it. Um, Okay, one of the other things CJNG is far more known for is that, you know, they have some, uh, they have some weaponry that matches the, the Mexican police and National Guard. They have no problem kind of putting out, uh, propaganda and information showing how tough they are, how big their, their guns are, so to speak, um, they do kind of like Sinaloa, they do get into you know trying to co-opt um with the community doctors, government people, social media influencers or social influencers um but they do it again in a different way one is one c j n g is in threats, the other is in more um Bribery if you will, you know doing good things for the people uh, CJng you know has really expanded there are some concerns that they may have issues with respect to um, you know being able to hold on to all of their territory and we can talk about that later so that's past and present look into the future what do we see coming down the line? So, number one, you've got the, you still have the fracture between Los Chapitos and El Mayo, right? Lots of rumors about the source of information with respect to Ovidio Guzman. Was uh, El Mayo involved? Were people working for El Mayo involved? We don't know. We don't know how that's going to affect that fracture. We know for sure that CDS is going to be stronger to the extent that they somewhat stay together as they have, even if there are some internal battles. But one of the big things going forward for CDS is going to be, can they maintain as a... As... Maybe an, an, um, an umbrella organization covering the two factions. You know, it, it, now I'm going to make the comparison to the NFL. You know, at some point you had the AFC and the NFC, right? They're under the NFL. So they are, uh, you know, they're, they're different, but they're the same. And then, you know, you have a split off and it's the USFL and they're different. If the NFC all of a sudden decided that they weren't going to, they didn't want to be in the NFL anymore. They started their own league. The two leagues would definitely be, you know, the, the two would be together less impressive than the NFL that has both the AFC and NFC. That makes sense? All right. Uh, CJ Angie. What do we know about them? They're expanding dramatically, right? And the farther they expand, the more possibility of having fractures, of having splinter groups. And because of their brazen violence, perhaps there is more opportunity the further they get spread out for there to become dissension, for there to become communities, groups of folks who fight back against them because they're spread out. Think, if you will, Los Zetas, right? I mean, that has to be the model for, you know, you had high-ranking, well-qualified violent military people uniting together for a cartel, dominating, you know, the the Atlantic coast or the Gulf of Mexico coast of Mexico for years, and then they fell apart. CJNG probably doesn't want to follow in those steps. Now, another thing with respect to both of these is the idea that Both El Mencho and El Mayo are in poor health. What happens when they pass away? No doubt they've thought about this, right? They've got people in place. But do the cartels survive in their current form when one or both of them pass? If El Mayo passes... Does that give Los Chapitos the real opportunity to take over the entire cartel that they haven't been able to do while El Mayo was still in power? Or does El Mayo have people, including his son, who are going to be able to maintain alliance and fidelity to their organization? Exact same thing with respect to El Mencho. And in fact, I think we know less in some respects about the potential of Um, leadership succession plan for CJNG than we do with CDS. One of the big wild cards, of course, is the government. Not just the Mexican government, but also the U.S. government. To what extent do those governments make a new and concerted joint effort to get to El Mancho, to get to El Mayo, to destroy these two particular cartels? Do they have the ability to do that? Do they have the political will to do that? Those are going to be the questions going forward. All right? When a video was captured, was that a One or, you know, one incident in a few to try to show, you know, for AMLO to show others, including President Biden, Prime Minister Trudeau at at the NATO Leaders Conference, see we are doing things. I don't know. I don't think anybody does. Is this going to be something that's followed up over and over and over? Are we going to see more and more government efforts against CDS and CJNG and if we do what's the pushback right now we know Sinaloa said hey you got 72 hours to return him or all hell is going to break loose and it really didn't right there were issues for the few days around it but we haven't seen the big attacks uh counteroffensive if you will from uh, CDS, does that give the government more opportunity? Don't know. How do they feel about really going after El Mencho or other CJNG leaders? There has to be a calculus someplace and said, okay, if we got El Mencho, let's say we found him, we were able to go in and pick him up, just like we did, you know, Rafa last year what would be the repercussions? What would happen to the cartel? What would happen to, uh, you know, the government forces? To what extent would the cartel respond in a way that we just don't want to have happen? Right. You know, I've suggested for a long time that I thought that CDS had a little bit of a hands-off approach from the government because overall they were the least offensive, you know, the lesser of evils. And they only went after El Chapo when they really had no choice. I'm not sure if that's the case at the moment. I'm not sure how the offensive against Les Chapitos affects that analysis. Okay. Okay. So the short answer is, we don't know. But those are things to think about. And that's our analysis, our compare and contrast of CD, CDS and CJNG for today. Very different styles. And I again, I, I geek out on this. I think it's really fascinating. And I hope I didn't bore you to death in the last 45 minutes. Okay. As always, if you have comments at all, I'd love to hear them. Let me know. Um, If you have suggestions for things that you want us to talk about, there are so many different areas that we could hit. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm at least trying to address things that are of interest to people. So let me know if you have ideas, thoughts, or, or just things that you're curious about. I'm um, not exactly sure where we're going next week, but, uh, you know, stay tuned. Check out the YouTube channel, if you will. We're putting up something today on Mexican geography that I think, if I do it right, will be really cool. Um, There's some news updates on there. It's car- Cartel's Conspiracies in and Camarena. It's easy to find. Take a look. And if you, if you like this, if you enjoy the analysis, take a look at my book, Someone Had to Die, uh, i think you'll you might enjoy it and that is all for this week have a great week everyone and we'll talk to you next week